Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel... We always start the podcast by me saying, how's it going? But we live in the the world, uh, so we know how it's going. Um, so instead... It's going not great, Bob. It's it's going... I'm glad to be talking to you right yeah. now. There, it's been a, it's been a f***ing terrible week. I say that yeah. it was my birthday this week, but that doesn't matter because it's been a f***ing terrible week. Yeah, it has. Um... Two more shootings, and then a police sniper shooting, which um, was fun. And yeah, yeah it just—it hasn't been a really great week. I just at all for a lot of people. For, it's the worst, the worst loss of life for the p- police since nine eleven happened this yeah. week. And we also had at least two more officer killings of civilians um at least two those the ones that were on camera that got widely circulated so it's been a fucking terrible week and um i think that there there was a, there was a, a a segment of the daily show with trevor noah that was going around social media a little bit uh this today as we record and i think that is it was uh unfortunately prescient um by a day because what he was talking about in this clip was this idea that you can be pro black lives matter and pro cop and support people protesting against uh excessive force deadly force and lack of accountability in officer involved shootings and also strongly support and the, the police um the police officers and our public servants in this country and as someone who's I have an aunt who's a cop. I've got extended family who are paramedics who are, I've, I've very strong ties to public service and immense respect and deep love for, for these family members and for these institutions that they've dedicated their lives to. So it's, I, and at the same time, I'm absolutely supportive of, and I'm, 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 I believe in black lives matter. I think that is an important thing that this movement is an important thing that's happening in our country. So I was really appreciative that to s- this week of seeing seg- things like that um, Daily Show segment, um, things, th- you know, that some of these different things have been going around on social media, this idea of, I mean, in Dallas, the protesters apparently were helping catch the shooters, the cops were helping protect the the protesters, and Dallas has one of the lowest officer-involved shooting rates in the entire country, the, an exemplary apparent Apparently, from what I've been reading, the the uh, researched and uh, journalistic pieces I've been reading, an exemplary police force in in Dallas. So it's just I've appreciated what has come out, um, the focus at least in in corners of the internet that I find myself uh, in support of the Dallas Police Department, in support of the protesters, and back and forth um, amongst the community in, in Dallas. Uh, of course, there are shitheads trying to divide and trying to incite more violence and more anger and hostility. But I've, I have appreciated at least so far what I've been seeing. I don't know. Uh, what, what do you, what have you been seeing, Noel? 
Well, I think that the, the key point that you brought up was this ability to be pro both sides is epitomized by the fact that um, the Dallas Police Department sent out photos of the officers posing with protesters and vice versa at, on social media saying, this is what this looks like, this is how this works, and that's really significant. And it's why when... Like, I was having trouble sleeping, so I was keeping up with the news and everything. And when I started seeing a couple of Facebook comments about police being shot, I just went, well, that doesn't seem like something that would have been happening in Dallas based on the earlier earlier pictures I saw. So, obviously, something else happened. And it was just like, well, yes, yeah, something else did happen. And it wasn't anything related to the protesters in any way, shape, or form, apparently, based on news reports and based on the police's own press conferences where they're just like this guy said he wasn't affiliated with anyone else and i think that that's the really significant thing to take away from this is that the protest itself was fine it was peaceful it was respectful and it was just an individual acting of their own accord individuals acting of their own accord that stirred and divided and pushed back an agenda and pushed back a conversation that needed to be had and exposed double standards as well in how we approach things of, oh, well, obviously it's a Black Lives Matter activist that did this. Oh, wait, we should wait and see um, the full story about the cops telling of stories and how that situation went down. She went, oh, okay, yeah, we can do that, sure, hmm. Is base, has been my perspective on that. Yeah, I am looking forward to uh, what I've recently just today heard is there's that MTV and BET are putting on a um, a, a live town hall on violence and uh, specifically police violence tonight as we record Friday night um, with uh, so, like I think I think Jessica Williams, formerly of The Daily Show, is going to be contributing to that. There's some other um, interesting and uh, notable, at least to us. Uh, Noel and I, uh, people that'll be involved in that. So I look forward to checking that out and, and seeing the conversation um, that 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 comes out of that. And hopefully, it, it, God, there's just there's nothing, there's nothing good, there's nothing good that that can come out of this this seemingly unending violence in our country right now. Um, however, this is not. A political podcast is political as it does get from time to time because Noel and I, especially I, can't help myself. Um, it's a podcast about television and that can be political at times. Um, and But a lot of times the, the reason that we may be watching television is to try to not think about everything that's going on in our country right now. When you need a break from that, when you need to be able to fall asleep and to be able to get some space and then come back to these very important issues. So we are going to spend the rest of our episode talking about TV and hopefully we liked it. And uh, at the end of the podcast, we're going to be talking with Karinsa Kadinas um, from the pop culture uh, section of Complex. And I, I will stress that segment was recorded at the beginning of the week before this turned into one of the worst weeks of the year. So the tone will be different for that at the end of the show. But um, we're talking Wonder Woman. And I feel like that... You didn't even sing that. I didn't even sing that, which that's a future callback, guys. Yeah. Um, but um, 
but I feel like I could use some of that tone right now. If I were listening, you know, uh, I can maybe I'll, I'll have to go back and listen to it again because we were in a much happier place at the start of the week than we are right now. Yeah. So look forward to that at the end of the show. Wonder Woman with Karinsa. <laughs> there we go. Um, but now we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to a 90s classic and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Are We To Be because I need a break from the shittiness of this week and I think some of you might too so hopefully you will enjoy our podcast we'll take a break listen to some music and be right back in TV. It was the 4th of uh, July this weekend, so a lot of stuff was off. All Monday TV was off, for the most part. Uh, A lot of the weekend's TV was off. Uh, So we're just putting everything in one segment this week, guys. We're going to kick things off by previewing The Night Of on HBO, which is debuting next week. It already aired, the first episode aired as a preview, um, but or went up on HBO.com. One of those two. I know, all I know is that yeah. It starts on HBO on this Sunday. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it's out there. It's, you know, it's aired. So people have, have, might have seen it. But we're going to talk about that in a generally non-spoilery way in case you are just going with the standard HBO premiere um, this week. Then we'll talk a little bit about Marcella on Netflix, the the first couple episodes of that. Preacher, Sundowner, Unreal, Infiltration, Greenleaf, Meaningful Survival, uh, Change Gears a Little Bit with Adventure Time, Daddy, Daddy Daughter Card Wars, Wrecked, Tub Thumping, hence the delightful music selection for this week. And we'll round things out with a wonderful helping of the Great British Baking Show or the Great British Bake Off, uh, which had its premiere this week. Um, that feels like a good note to end on. I thought so, yeah. Yeah. First up, we're going to talk about the night of. Now, this one, the ads for this, Noel, have been uh, terrifying me on the scale of like how TV ads can make you dread something. Uh, because sure. they're trying so hard to make me think they're doing True Detective again. And fortunately, they're not. It's so much better. <laughs> Why are the ads making people think that they're doing True Detective? I haven't seen any of the ads for this, so I'm I'm flummoxed by this after having seen the first episode. Oh, no, no. Just tonally, the way it's like everything's washed out and gritty and, and, and like kind of gray and everything's very serious and these big name stars and there's police and questioning and yeah just it was very they were trying to lower my expectations and they did successfully and then i ended up actually really enjoying it so now this is going to be have eight episodes we've seen the first episode um and this is the series that gandolfini james gandolfini was looking um at starring in before he and they shot the pilot uh before he died um then it, de niro was 
going to take over that role originally, but it, we ended up with John Turturro, who is fantastic in, in that role, which comes into play at the very end of the, the first episode. Um, now, is this one... That's all I knew about the show. I didn't really know anything about it. Um, so I went into it, and I actually was very pleasantly surprised by it. Uh, what did you know about this uh, starting off, Noel? Uh Nothing. Okay. Um, like, we, you and I had been mentioning it back and forth, and we kept going, what's that show about? What is this? Mm-hmm. I haven't heard about this. And then, like, this week, it was just like, the show's really great. So I investigated a little bit, and uh, a couple important things, to, I think, to keep in mind, because I saw one really glowing review about this on a HBO-invested website called The Ringer, um, where they gave a really glowing review of The Night Of, and failed to mention the fact that it's a BBC co-production that it's based on a BBC series that already aired. And it's just like, oh, we're going to erase the BBC's involvement in any of this. And I just went, that's great, guys. Super job. Uh, So, yeah, so it's an ABC, ABC, it's a BBC and HBO co-production of a British television series um, that deals with a crime. And in this case, it's the, hey, it's the murder of a young, young white woman. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's also very good yeah um this the thing to keep in mind is that uh it has a very deliberate pace to it uh it has a very interesting aesthetic quality to it um lingering aesthetic quality to it that i really really appreciated especially after the crime occurs and we're just sitting in a police station for what seems like forever and it's really it's really nicely done. I have one major critique of it, and we can talk about that towards the end. But yeah, I'm pretty excited to see more of this. And how are you feeling about this based on the first episode? I was also really, uh, really pleased with it. And I like I did not like we said, I didn't know much about it. So I was pleasantly surprised to find that it centers around a uh, young man of a Pakistani descent. Pakistani. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, it's, it's got and it certainly addresses some you know, racial issues and um, the, and have how that plays into just his daily life before things start to, to take a turn, shall we say. Um, and then certainly how that's very clearly going to impact um, the case moving forward. This young man um, is involved in a crime, uh, either as a witness or as a perpetrator. Uh, you know, we'll, we're going to leave it at that. And uh, he ends up in custody, and we're going to leave it at that, <laughs> so so that you can discover. Because I think I think following um, the episode, like not knowing exactly what's going to happen keeps you very much in the perspective of the main character. They do, they, they really stay with him. Like you're saying, because, and and they build tension very deliberately and very effectively. It's one of those things where you're watching it going, don't, don't do that. That's a terrible decision. Main character. It's a terrible, but when, when he makes a terrible decision, instead of disconnecting from the narrative, because it's such an obvious, terrible mistake to make, you, you you can feel it all the more because you buy into his motivations. You understand why he's doing it. Um, yeah. And so rather than being necessitated, his actions being necessitated, his choices being necessitated by we need to get him to a, a precinct or we need to, this bad thing needs to happen. Um, it, it feels uh, almost crushingly uh, ines- inescapable. And sure. in, a way, in a way that I think is very effective. I like the way that it takes its time. Knowing that it's only eight episodes, uh, really, and the fact that they spend so long with where we 
you know, getting him to that precinct, introducing Totoro, who's a lawyer. Um, and uh, like, I, I like that they spend that time because what's going to come next is going to be, you know, this is def- like this, this, this evening will define the rest of this man's life, no matter what happens. And so I like that we experience it with him. Um, uh, just visually, I think you know, they do a good job. I like some of the angles that they choose, where they put the camera, when they put it with him, when they don't. Um, the main character, because we're very much with him. Um, I, I really appreciate the writing of some of the different, like the cops. Like when he gets pulled over, um, those two detectives, I, or officers, I should say, I was really enjoying their dynamic. Right. Yeah, and some of the other uh, the other characters we see as well. Uh, so, so I think I think it's just it's a really solid start. Um, yeah. And for me, I have I have I have like one or two quibbles, and I'm hoping that these are things that won't necessarily these are things that won't necessarily play out as we move forward. So I could see how right. the show could really easily just kick into a new gear as you know or escalate very very satisfyingly as we go through the season. So I would say don't go into this first episode expecting. Something that's going to change your life, television-wise. Yeah. Um, but I could see how it would just get better and better as, as it went along. So you you had... I have a couple. You have one. Um, do you want to go first, or shall I? No, I'll go first. That's okay, fine. Okay, go for um, it. My only big thing was towards the end when Totoro's lawyer shows up, mm-hmm. uh, Totoro's character shows up, is that there's very little non-diegetic music in this that I could recall. And for those who aren't familiar with the term, non-diegetic means, like, the score that characters can't hear. So it's music that doesn't exist in the story world. And there's very little of that that I could recall within this episode. And then Totoro's character shows up, and suddenly there's these little... There's this little kind of sappy piano playing that happens to indicate, here's the guy that's going to help. Here's the guy whose fate is intertwined with our protagonist and all this stuff. And it feels very much out of, it feels very much out of a 1990s John Grisham adaptation. And I kind of rolled my eyes and wondered where that decision came from in relation to the rest of this episode. And it's a very minor thing that happens, but it's so starkly noticeable because it doesn't feel like it's part of the show up to this point. And it happens like... at like the hour nine minute mark hour eight minute mark and Mm -hmm. there's only 10 minutes left in the episode so it's just like where did that decision come from and why was it did you pick up on this oh yes oh hugely it sticks out like a sore thumb because as you had said the rest of the episode doesn't have anything like that it's it's like Totoro enters the story and all of a sudden it's fiction yes whereas or, or fable when it had been you know Reality. A degree of a degree of verisimilitude of yeah. lived inness, commonplaceness, especially with how the cops approach and behave. Mm-hmm. It feels very lived in and not gritty. Just feels commonplace for everything to be happening. Yeah, it, you know what it is? It's the music from Field of Dreams when <laughs> when it old is. Archie Graham uh, stays at the top, like is on the top of the steps and like walks off into the mist, and then there's like that piano. Right. And then later they pull up and it's young Archie Graham. You're like, oh, oh my goodness. Like, and the, again, that that like couple notes of piano comes back in and they're like, oh, it's magic. You know, uh, that that's the kind of that's the kind of hit they go with there. And it's 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 very strange. So hopefully that I 
yeah, like you said, I have, it's inexplicable to me. Um, the other the other issues that I have with it, um, there's two that are a bit of a stretch for me. One thing, just like a plot stretch, is there's um the there's a character who is interested in a a game, I guess I'll say, um, solely so that there can be some trace evidence that gets discovered later. So that felt a bit contrived, but um, on the whole, it's it's over pretty quickly, and they they sold it pretty well. And then the other thing, really, this is the one significant concern I have with this, is that the the woman in question is uh, she's she's not a character at all. Yeah, she's very much like a series of dysfunctions. To lead to a tragic outcome. And, and I, I think they really avoid that with the main character and with the other people we're interacting with. But with her, I don't... Like, she feels like she's straight out of, like, a pulp novel or she's just a... a, a she's just a, a walking bag of victim cliches. Um, or future victim cliches. And yeah, she's, she's the sad dame. Who... Yeah. Causes all of this to happen. Yeah, or just like poor hapless protagonist. Yeah, it was just like you don't. They don't spend any. In, they don't have any interest in, in ha- her be, and maybe this is something that they will um, like unfold over the course of the eight episodes. We'll find out more about her, which yeah. I think you kind of would have to. But right now, in this first episode, she just sort of, it's like, <laughs> it's like the unfortunate, gritty drama victim version of the manic pixie dream girl. It's the depressive, uh, sad dream but victim. But still deeply alluring. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. So I, I haven't figured out how exactly which of those words I would swap around to make that acronym apply. But yeah, it's, it's the, it's the, the um, tortured, uh, it's, it's the tortured, pained dream victim of these shows and uh so hopefully that will be rectified over the course of the the other episodes um and as you know everything else though i think about this really does work very well for a first episode and i just look forward to watching these different actors but especially i I really enjoyed Totoro, so i'm hoping he's gonna be able to do a lot with that character um yeah i've seen some people compare him to columbo which could be a lot of fun yeah. And uh, or it could really play into that sappy music thing that we were talking about. So we'll see which way they go with it. But I would say people should check it out. Yeah, I would too. Um, it's well worth your time. Yeah. Less worth your time, in my opinion at least, is the new Netflix series uh, Marcella. And I think this is, is this a co-production or is this just that Netflix is airing a BBC show or UK show, I should say? UK. It's from ITV. Okay. Um, so it's an I- ITV series, which means it's only like 40, 45 minutes per episode because ITV has commercials. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's yet another, it's another cop drama. Um, just not a good one. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. Um, I had a um, Twitter friend, uh, media, at Media Obsessed, um, finish it because she wanted to make sure he or she wanted to make sure that it was a terrible show (laughs) and they were very vindicated when they finished it because they were just like yep it's terrible it's shit and i just went i can see that i asked based on like their experience with it when i should 
expect to want to stop watching and they were just like around episode two is when i was done and that was an accurate that was an accurate estimation because i got halfway through the second episode i finished the second episode but i got halfway through the second episode and went yeah i i i'm good i'm really good and how about you like this was just not great we'll get into why it's not great but yeah yeah this wasn't good based on these first two episodes yeah i feel kind of bad because i said hey maybe we should check out marcella because our our friends over at hey watch this is paul and david watched the first episode for their episode last week and really enjoyed it or thought it was interesting and promising and so i was like oh maybe we should check it out you know it's a little light this week for shows and so then i was watching this and well actually you had seen it before i was and i and you know we had talked a little bit you said you weren't you weren't really digging it and so I was a little nervous. And then I watched it. I was like, yeah, oh, God, I feel bad that Noel watched two of these. Because I only watched one. And it's not, <laughs> that it's, it's not that it's terrible. It's not that it's horribly made. It's just that I've seen all of these stories before, with the one exception. The one exception is that our lead character, who is a police detective, um, or the British equivalent, I don't know the proper term, um, played by Anna Friel, who you know we all loved in Pushing Daisies, uh, has like rage blackouts and that's something that i haven't seen a woman having you know a female character having that i haven't seen before but every other aspect of this where there's a serial killer who was gone and now is back and she couldn't catch him the first time and and uh she's got a struggling relationship with uh you know her her now ex-husband um or at least he's leaving her so they're in that process um, and, you know, choosing family versus career. Like, these are all things that we've seen other shows do way more interestingly. And, for example, I would even just point to uh, Prey and the, the lead detective, especially in the second season that we follow in, in, that, sh- in that show uh, as being a much more interesting version of this type of character without the rage blackouts, but, like, as far as someone who's very good at her job but is, like, a just a mess in her personal life as far as, you know, trying to balance these two things and these different impulses in, you know, what she will, what she thinks will make her, will make her happy and, you know, what her partner needs to be and all of that. Um, yeah, I just, I don't need to see another, and it's, it's fine. I've, just, I've seen a lot of serial killer shows, Noel. I don't need another one. No, uh, none of us do. Uh, yeah, it was, I was even like you went with prey. I went very much with the killing in a mm-hmm. lot of instances. Um, even down to the big frumpy coat that Marcella gets to wear is directly out of Lyndon's wardrobe. Um, and I mean, it's all kind of fitting because I mean, I feel like the killing and the bridge, and we should note that Marcella is from her Hans Rodsfeld, who created the bridge, the Swedish version, um, the original version. And it feels very much a piece of that whole Scandinavian crime drama that's very invo- that's been in vogue for the, like the past five, ten years at this point. And there's just nothing new or fresh happening in it. I mean, on top of the serial killer angle that you mentioned and the personal drama, then we've got a webcam woman who is involved somehow but is also having like her own struggle with something else that's happening there's a lot of like various plot threads that will end up probably being tied together but it's just why should we care about any of these plot threads is the big question like by the second episode like do you want me to can i tell you what kind of happens at the end of the second episode 
Um, spoiler warning, listeners. Spoiler this has been warning, out, out on Netflix, so some of you, if, if you're, you're gonna watch, if you're gonna watch, yeah. you know, you probably already have, or if you aren't, uh, if you want to watch, um, skip ahead. Let's say twenty seconds. Go for it. Yeah, twenty seconds. Is that she finds the body of the woman that she maybe have killed, maybe in the mm-hmm. woods, and I just went, okay, yeah, I'm good. I, I'm out. I'm <laughs> yeah. good. I'm, and spoiler warning. Um, so I was just like. There wasn't anything else to keep me involved in this as much as I really love Anna Farrell. There's just nothing in this that I want to continue to see at yeah. all. If I'm going to watch a a show about a police detective in the UK uh, who is struggling uh, with balancing personal responsibilities and... Uh, you know, gritty realities of police work. I will most definitely watch season two of Happy Valley and season two and three of The Fall before I make time for Marcella because I still haven't gone back and made time for those, even though I really like season one of The Fall, at least the m- most of that. It was a bit much at times, but but certainly Julian Anderson in that. And uh, I respect the crap out of the performance, the central performance in Happy Valley. I want to say Sarah Lancaster, right? I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I will most definitely make time for that before I will watch more Marcello. There's a lot of, of TV that I think falls into this subcategory. So it's just, I mean, it's, I wouldn't put this on, on Friel or anything, but it's like, you've got, there's a high bar. There's a lot to make yourself stand out. And for me, this one really, really doesn't. So, uh, sorry, Noel, you watched two. You watched more than I did. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll just hold it against you for the rest of your life. No, that, it's, there you go. It's not bad. It's not bad enough to hold against you for the rest of your life. It was just deeply boring. Deeply boring. Well, what? What? Speaking of deeply boring, uh, how are you feeling about preacher right now? Because I know, and I that might not, it's a bit strong of a transition, but I know that for some people, <laughs> it's been a very repetitive experience watching watching preacher. So I'm curious if you've been keeping up, or if you just jumped ahead for Sundowner, the sixth episode of the season, uh, or you know, either way, uh, how how are you feeling about this episode and about the show as a whole? Okay, so I watched the premiere, and I haven't watched another episode since. Mm-hmm. But a friend of the show, Corey Barker, um, and friend of mine, Corey Barker, uh, mentioned how cool the opening was. He didn't give me any details. He just said the opening was really, really cool. And I just went, okay, I'll circle around to it. And I hadn't, like, looked at it since the premiere. And yes, the opening is indeed very cool. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But on just a big macro level response, I just went, so I haven't really missed anything? In five episodes is what I'm getting from this because they're just now getting an explanation for what the voice thing is. And I'm sure there are like character beats in between Cassidy and Preacher and um, Tulip that I don't have any context for and don't understand. And I was, it didn't affect my appreciation or response to the episode in any way, shape, or form, which isn't the best sign to me that I didn't feel oh, wow, I really wish I had seen the previous five episodes so I knew what was happening right now. Instead, I just went, eh, I'm, I'm okay that I haven't seen these episodes because the big central thing that I needed to know is being answered right now. So I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. And then the tail end of the episode as well with um, Arseface is also something that happened and I'm sure someone has an emotional response to. I just went, oh, poor kid. And... Yeah, but that opening was really cool. <laughs> okay, well, let's go in with that then. The opening yeah. is the fight scene we get, right? Yes, in, in the motel, right. Yeah, 
Where they just keep uh, dying and, and cloning themselves cloning. or replicating or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's cool. And it's well staged, I thought. Yes, but I feel like this is, and it, it is an effective action set piece. And there's, a, as it continues, it gets more uh, ridiculous and comedic. And that, I think, is very effective, works very well. Um, I, I've seen this idea before in Supernatural, yeah. though. And it was funnier then. Uh, but I realize a lot of people have not seen necessarily seen you know or would necessarily connect that but for a solid season um of supernatural the the lead characters weren't allowed to die so people kept trying to kill them or killing them and they would just you know when we come back to life we're gonna find you and we're gonna be pissed you know like that guy's um so uh it's for me i guess it's not and people who've read the 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 comics will be familiar with this as well so you know maybe it's not really necessarily playing on that ingenuity of you know, being an original concept, but um, for me, it was just sort of like, okay, I see what they're doing. Yes, yeah. you know, it 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 didn't wow me the way it seems to have wowed other people. But I do yeah. think it was fun. And the trouble with when you do that though is that then you've played that card, so now the deaths of characters like that can't have any meaning. Um, sure. So you just have to be Unless careful. Unless there's some doodad that prevents it from happening, and I'm sure there's probably some doodad that prevents it from happening. Yeah, at some point, <laughs> certainly. But I mean, when especially when your main character uh, isn't going to be able to die, because as soon as somebody's about to kill him, he'll just tell them to stop. You yeah. know. Um, so you know, and then Cassidy is would be very very hard to kill, seeing as he is a vampire. So you know, there's this is something that the show is going to run into in fight scenes moving forward. They'll have to be very clear with how they establish the parameters of, of future fights or, or physical threats, at least. Um, I mean, obviously Tulip is the one who would be the easiest to be imperiled and she's a Nonsense. badass. I was about to so, say, I think of anyone who can make it out of any situation just based on two episodes. <laughs> yeah. No, Tulip and Tulip is great. And I would say the one thing you did, you did miss out on not having seen is uh, Tulip and Cassidy's introduction and ha- like the way they, they haven't really exploited it very much yet, but I think they could have a lot of fun with those two characters and specifically those actors. So uh, right. that's something that I would say, like if you're, if you're still sticking with the show listeners and you're like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to keep watching. That might be something to like, kind of keep an eye out on Twitter for and see, Oh, I'll check in on this episode. Cause it was a good tulip and Cassidy episode. But um, yeah, it, it really is very like, cause you're watching, you're watching Jesse not learn a lesson that he should He's going to have to learn, and apparently he's going to learn it by the end of the first season. Um, but we're just kind of waiting for him to listen to the advice of, that everyone around him is telling him. Um, and that can get frustrating and certainly can feel repetitive. It's like, but guys, this time it'll be different. No main character, it won't. How many more episodes do we have to watch of this? Uh, but I, it is, I do think that's giving it, that's being really harsh. It is, it is a lot of fun. There is a good energy to it. The performances are strong. I'm way more on board with uh, Cooper as Jesse than I was at the very beginning, like the last time we talked about it. Um, so right. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, and they haven't gone back to those flashbacks. They continue. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. Um, we, there's like a little bit more we've gotten of that, but, but nowhere near what the pilot had. So, you know, I, I, it's been fine, you know, good multitasking TV, but certainly for me, not more than that. So we'll see if it becomes something more by the end of the first season. But for, for me, really, it is very just like, oh, yeah, I guess Preacher happened. I can watch that as opposed to appointment viewing. Right. That makes sense. 
I'm not going to like circle back unless you ask me to. Oh probably. yeah, and <laughs> I I would be very surprised if I I might tell you to check out an episode for a particularly interesting, a fun tulip scene since I know that you enjoy that character and that performer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't expect expect that. Uh, I, and I don't don't hold your breath, Noel. I already feel bad enough for having you watch Marcella. Um, but I you know we're talking about shows that are sort of that are appointment versus not viewing. Appointment viewing for me remains unreal. Infiltration. However, I'm not. I'm. I'm starting to get a little worried about the season. Yeah, I, I texted my friend Danielle. I was just like, "What?" First of all, I texted, "What the fuck is wrong with Quinn?" Mm-hmm. And then I texted, I'm, I, "I need the show to start like pulling together some threads here because I'm feeling like there are a lot of ideas circulating and none of them are feeling particularly addressed, and I'm not sure where we're going with a lot of this yet." And I'm, I'm just also like, what what the hell is Chet doing? Because I'm trying to figure out Chet's endgame because I'm pretty sure he has an endgame here. And I don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just the idea that shows keeping him around as a legitimate, you know, player in the, in the dynamics or in the show is puzzling to me because they very firmly established that he's an idiot. Um, so it seems like they're going to be in the way that this episode ends. They want you on Team Chet, at least somewhat. Right. It looks like that Chet manipulated Jeremy into a situation in which Jeremy could get fired so Chet could say, save, stop Jeremy from her doing anything to Rachel and thus kind of look like a potential ally? Is it, yeah, no, Is you're giving what... him so much more credit. No, I don't think it's that at all. Oh, hey, he spent an entire, like, who knows how long in Patagonia learning how to become a man. I'm sure that includes some Sun Tzu Art of War stuff. Yeah, but he's not that smart. That's the thing. He's re- like I mean, he did he did kidnap a baby. He so. kidnapped his own baby on the scale of difficulty in kidnapping. I mean, if you have worked out a custody arrangement with your your significant other, I feel like that's not the most challenging kidnapping situation. Um, but um, yeah, no, I I really don't understand this idea. Other than I think just they they like Craig Bierko and they want to keep him around, but they've assassinated that character to the point that I don't think it works for the show i think and, and the other trouble i'm having with this stuff is what we get in the previous episode and then certainly in this episode quinn is destroying everlasting yeah she, like in a way that should be irreparable going into the suitor suite in the dream suite on you know the overnight that is that's supposed to be sacred watching the show how would anyone ever trust anything they say ever again like can you imagine can you imagine anyone giving buying into anything that the producers say on the show when they put a camera on the uh, on two of these people while they're having sex and ha- brought their father in yeah I, I don't know how they get a suitor for their next next cycle of episodes or how they get this. a suitor that's interesting because they right. could find plenty of of uh people who are just looking to get famous but that's right. not going to be interesting tv it's just going to it's just going to water down their brand and remove any element of reality that they're trying to at least create and create this environment to try to get people to, to fall in love, you know, at least, you know, whirlwind romance or something like that. There, there's not going to be any opportunity to do that because no one can ever trust you because look at what you've done. So, uh, and the show doesn't seem like it's interested in that. It just, it's showing Quinn. Oh, she's, can you believe she's pushed this line? She's a bad person, but she's going to get game buster ratings. And I just don't, I don't, I don't think the show's engaging with the level to which Quinn is destroying Everlasting. 
Right, and it's a very weird thing to watch her destroy it in order to save it, basically, I guess is what she's maybe trying to do, or what she may think that she's trying to do. Um, because, I mean, remember her focus last week was about getting Darius out, mm -hmm. so that she could maybe replace him with someone else. <laughs> and I just... I feel like she's trying to very much get the show back from everything, like get it back from the first black suitor, which the show's not making as much hay out of. It keeps referencing it as this big thing, but it's never reflected within the show's world as a big thing. Yeah. Which I think is really troubling. Yeah. Like it wants credit for taking this pot shot at the bachelor, but it is basically just amounting to a pot shot. Yeah. And there are elements of it where, like with Ruby's elimination this week and this idea of masculinity and manhood and being better, uh, which are all parts of a discourse that can exist within the African-American community, but it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel specifically tied. And that conversation could have basically just been any idealistic woman and a man who doesn't think he's worthy mm -hmm. of her so it doesn't feel as closely t it's subtextual when it really should have been very textual and i'm i struggle with the fact that it's not textual yeah well i mean and i really enjoy carl longley of course as a right no Gosh, he's so great he's awesome and he comes and he nails his one scene but ruby's yeah. off the show so he's not gonna be back um yeah yeah, I, I that was that was they very effectively got us to that elimination and that hurt that elimination hurt, uh, you know, watching the scene, watching that episode. But it's just it, it's like they're taking away the most interesting aspects of the show each episode. Yeah. Also, just from a continuity standpoint, when did Everlasting's uh, eliminations become candles and not bracelets? Yeah. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> also, I just like this idea of this immediate turnaround is ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's absurd. It does not like it. So every time they keep insisting on it as a plot point, it just takes me out of things even more. So I'm, I'm really I'm having some trouble. I mean, because, of course, I do still really enjoy it, but it's gone from a show that has things to say and is interesting and really examining mental health, female empowerment, gender dynamics, uh, all sorts of really great stuff in the first season. And then adding on this really interesting layer of race for the second season to just what crazy thing will happen next. And this is something that was a bit of a, a struggle for me in season one when they kept escalating and, you know, and to the to the suicide that we, we saw in, in, in uh, episode, uh, season one. But a show like Everlasting, if if you want me to believe that it comes back after a death, that's a hard buy. But apparently I'll give it that. But then saying all these other things that have happened this season that are would cause the show to fail and no longer be a cash cow for anybody involved with it. Like, you already got me to say, okay, I guess I can believe that the, the network brought the show back after someone died and people kept watching, but you can't really get me to to buy that. You know, they put cameras in the suitor's suite. They filmed people having sex and it aired part of it. Like, I can't buy that. Yeah, and I think to your point, like all those elements that you respond that we all responded to in season one about uh, mental health and gender politics and so forth and so on are still very much in this season. 
But they feel more like window dressing this yeah. season than they feel... The show's shifted from wanting to show how these these ideas are at play within the lens of a reality television show to using those elements as basically just things to prop up the plot escalation. Yeah. And that's a weird swerve. And I mean, it's a weird swerve that I think has been building from this season, from basically like episode two or three. Because I felt really confident going in after, like, especially after episode, after the first two episodes. So I feel like this was starting with uh, Wasserman's arrival, basically. And it's just, it hasn't, it hasn't grabbed me as much. And I also kind of forgot that Ione or Ian Grufard was supposed yeah. to be on here. You and Grufard, yeah. Yeah, Griffin. I just went, oh, right, you're on here this season for at least an episode or two. Well, that's interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm I'm just not feeling it as strongly as I was, and I, f- I feel a little worried. Yeah, I just don't want it to become this sort of, even though I don't actually believe in guilty pleasure, but it feels more like it's things that people, you know, we spent season one saying, no, it's not that. It's actually this really interesting, nuanced thing. It feels like it's moving towards being that less nuanced, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, looking for for scandal and outrage and oh how far will they go um yeah and hopefully you know they'll get back into the what what makes us interested in the show yeah you know, so we'll we'll see what happens with that um how are you feeling about uh, greenleaf uh this week we have a meaningful survival uh i'm still really liking greenleaf uh one of the th- i don't know if this is a bad thing or not and you can tell me how you're feeling about it is that I sort of struggle to remember, like, big picture stuff that happens within an episode of Greenleaf, but I don't feel badly about that because I enjoy it while I'm watching it, but it ends, I kind of forget, like, broad scope type of stuff that happens. Like, I remember the major plot details and everything, but I'm just like, so the Deacon Board walked out, we got a little bit of stuff with Faith, and then... That was about it. And, oh, Carissa can make any situation about her, and she will. Because <laughs> um, that seems great. But it feels very, it's very rooted in this melodrama, very rooted in this soap opera stuff. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, because it executes all of it really, really well. Like, immaculately well. Like, I enjoy the power plays. I enjoy the exchanges between the two, the patriarch and the matriarch green leaves, green leafs, and just their navigation of their marriage, of the power that the church has within itself. It's just, it's also really compelling and interesting, but I just kind of, as soon as I'm done watching the episode, I'm just like, right, okay, that, that was an episode of Greenleaf, and I kind of need to refresh myself on what happened before I talk about it with you so that I remember what happened. But I don't, necessarily feel like that that's a bad thing about the show it's just i'm enjoying it while i'm watching it and then i just go immediately on to something else am i being weird am i not engaging with it correctly like diagnose me Kate. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna lay down on this couch and you can just tell me uh in what's wrong with me 
Well, no, I just think it's it's one of those shows, at least for us, and other people may f- be finding uh, more meaning and depth in the show than, than we are. Uh, and if so, I want to hear from you. Reach out. Let us know what you see that maybe we're missing. But I think it's just one of those shows that you're in, you know, you're enjoying the experience of it. You're enjoying the interaction with the actors and the, these different characters. God, they're so good. They're the so good. They're so good. Yeah, but, but it's not for us bringing up these big issues of maybe community like if, if we were members of large churches like this maybe that would ha- have more re- relevance to our daily lives and so we'd be thinking about it more as we went along and I think but I think mostly it's just it's there to be fun and to be engaging and and escapist and I you know I think it's like not not unlike many elements of Jane the Virgin where you're like what exactly happened? I don't know. I just know that that uh, you know Petra says something funny. You know, like that's that's fine for 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 me at least. I don't need a show to be something that I'm. It's living in my brain all week for it to be something that I really enjoyed and that I had a lot of fun watching and that I uh, you know like for for me this is not one of my favorite new shows of the of the season, but it's one that I absolutely enjoy as I'm watching it and that I, I'm I'm pleased when there's a new episode. Right, okay. No, that makes me feel better, because, I mean, like, the big thing I remember is Carissa just slamming that phone down as um, the youngest daughter and her still-closeted husband, I'm assuming, um, Mm -hmm. are about to reveal that they're having twins, and she just immediately makes it about her and her marriage and the affair, and I just... I loved it because it's just so soapy and melodramatic and look-at-me-right-now type of thing. And that that was the big thing that stuck out in my mind about this episode was just how great that scene was and how badly I kind of want every episode to have a big dinner, family dinner sequence in which things just go horribly, horribly awry for someone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then the other scene that I really loved that really stood out to me was the conversation we got with with uh, Keith David and uh, and uh, Merle. Oh, my goodness. What's wrong? Gigi. Um, about the 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 sick kid and what they should pray for and how to interact with that family and that you know which is completely other side of the spectrum but I thought it was a really lovely scene and I you know I appreciate that the show has both sides of that spectrum super soapy yeah. dramatic fun like you know just <laughs> watching characters at eleven and then this much more subdued much more heartfelt and you know and much more real. Well, though, you know, for some, I'm sure in some experiences, that dinner table scene is very real. But, you know, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, right. Very different tonally, those two scenes. But I think both equally well executed. Right. And, I mean, the show's engaging in some good ideas. Like this, um, this struggle with the Board of Deacons and supporting the cops, supporting the victim, and the Black Lives Matters protests. I mean, all of this is handled very well a lot of it is more so off screen which i think is uh, probably the better of the choice to make given the show's soapier tendencies as opposed to making that aspect like a central part of the show instead those elements that are off screen influence the soapier aspects and some of the other some of the other parts of the show like again the power struggle with the deacons and I think that that's the right decision to make as opposed to focusing on those ideas and exploring what those ideas represent. They're mobilizing those ideas to think about how a community responds, but more, but ve- how this very specific 
soap-tinged community response. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really interesting. But again, it feeds back into, I'm needing to talk to you about it to remember that I was having these thoughts while I was watching the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's okay. This is why we have the podcast, so we can do that, right? (laughs) Yes. Well, let's move on to our next show, uh, which is Adventure Time, Daddy Daughter Card Wars. And I mean, this is only our second episode with Card Wars, but I love it so much because when, when, uh, you know, first of all, Bemo's reaction, which is a reaction I have experienced (laughs) so many times, at least in my head when I've pondered, oh, should I see if, if the family wants to play, I don't know, Twilight Imperium or some of my other incredibly complicated board games that to me are really straightforward and I love them. Uh, and to everyone, most of the people, my extended family, are just like, no, that sounds horrible. Why would I want to spend 10 hours playing a board game with ti- lots of tiny little pieces? You're a crazy person. No. So so I, I just, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, and I like that they brought back Card Wars, but used it for a very specific purpose and to explore um, Jake aging and his, yeah, I like that they brought back uh, Charlie as opposed to some of the, some of the other kids. And uh, yeah, no, it was, it was the right blend of uh, creepy and uh, um, with the, the bone thing. And uh, oh, that bone thing was really weird. Okay. It was really weird. It was super creepy, right? <laughs> Yeah. So weird. <laughs> but yeah, it was a nice blend of thoughtful and uh, ha- having some nice perspective on, on one's life and uh, really experiential. I think all of us have had a moment where we turned into 20s Jake. Um, and, and then also very silly and, and all this other stuff. So once again, Adventure Time, taking all these lovely tones and ideas and packing them into 11 minutes. How, how did you feel about this one? Uh, I, I would just co-sign everything you just said. Um, and I, yeah, I, I would just co-sign everything you just said. It was very, as someone who's like approach is like within like starting to hit their stride within their thirties a little bit. Uh, I, I didn't have a crazy twenties. In fact, I had a very <laughs> boring twenties. Um, yeah, I, I was just very dull. I'm still very dull. Um, so I didn't totally... Re- I related to this, to this concept of 20s as something that needs to be buried. Uh, it, but I never really needed to bury my 20s. <laughs> but I liked how all of this was being played out. And I also like just kind of weird expansions of Ooh. So I like this idea that the Underground Card Award Tournament meets at an old oil rig, offshore oil rig. I thought that was great. <laughs> but I also love the fact that apparently everyone who really likes cult card wars are all turtles <laughs> because there were so many turtle people kate there were so many and i've previously thought that like turtle princess was like the only turtle person <laughs> uh so i like those aspects of it and i i'd kind of forgotten all of charlie's like weird abilities to trans tra- transverse the globe as mm-hmm. a spectral self um, but yeah, no, it was a fun episode and I was really glad because as soon as that episode was over, I just, I'm going to watch Card Wars on Amazon because I've got, I bought that episode. I'm going to watch that real quick. And then they aired the episode <laughs> with it. So I felt very good about that. So I, d- I got to be the cool guy and not the dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> and if we've learned anything from Adventure Time and Card Wars, is that you always floop the pig. You always floop the pig. You flipped uh, the pig. Yeah, which I think if he had flipped the pig, it's very possible Jake would have, you know, actually won at the end there. Uh, though, of course, he needed to lose so we could see his maturing and his process. Yes. And it, was a, it was a nice moment. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun with Adventure Time. Uh, I also had fun, though, not quite as much, uh, certainly not as Adventure Time, but um, not as, as much as I have earlier in the season, uh, with Wrecked this week. We had Tub Thumping. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the first few episodes a bit more uh, than I have, you know, episode, we're on episode five now, um, as, as I have the last couple. Um, how, how are you feeling about Wrecked? You caught up on it. Uh, it is, and how do you feel about, do you, do you need to have that specific lost connection or... Or um, do you feel like it's still going to work re- without that? And yeah, how's, how's it going for you? I, I don't think you need a Lost Connection mm-hmm. for this show. I think there are elements of it that very specifically reference Lost. Like um, the episode with like the suitcase and we've got an island mystery. Dun, dun. It's very Lost. Mm-hmm. But you don't need Lost to understand what they're doing, which was my, like, big concern when I saw this show uh, during the Andrew Tribeca Marathon earlier this year and they were previewing it. I just went, you guys are, like, eight years late on this? (laughs) Because it was like, Lost has been over for a while now, guys. Uh, But no, I I think more than anything, you just need an understanding of Gilligan's Island. Yeah. And then you just need an understanding of horrible people do horrible things to one another when they're all in one space. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all you need for Erect, is that these are, for the most part, really terrible people. (laughs) Or people who are really struggling to do anything with their situation and end up getting trapped in the woods, getting high on Claritin... And just all sorts of fun stuff, and but also just like plenty of other stuff that feels very of a piece if you got stranded on a desert island. Do you watch Dumb and Dumber 2 or do you watch Selma? And you feel really bad because you don't want to not watch Selma. <laughs> but you kind of want to watch Dumb and Dumber 2, though I would have preferred to watch Selma myself. Personally, yes, as well. Uh, but, you know, I could see what they were going with there. It's like, right, no, it was, it's... If it was any other crappy sequel, I can right. so connect with that. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm glad that you're enjoying it at least uh, somewhat. This I, episode, though, was kind of, like you alluded to, was kind of meh. But I'm interested to see, like, what they do going forward from this point, though. Because mm-hmm. they've gone kind of Lord of the Fliesy, and I'm excited to see what happens now. I'm very excited for Reese Darby, Island King. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I was missing him in some of the, the previous episodes, so I'm glad that he's more foregrounded here and hope that we'll continue for the next uh, handful of episodes at least. Um, any other favorite moments or, or final thoughts on Wrecked? Uh, I did, did get picked up for a second season uh, earlier this week, so we'll have another season of these people being trapped on an island, and I'm hoping that they're going to find food soon because they mm-hmm. mentioned the fact that they hadn't found a boar recently. So, I mean, even though they got the community pile back, they're still going to run out of food at some point. So, yeah. yeah. We'll see what they do. Because I'm sure at some point they'll bring in the others uh, when they ah, feel like ah, they've run ah. out of stories. You know, they'll they'll, they'll get there. The, the but, tail yeah. section of the plane. Yeah. Well, they very, you know, they are absolutely leaving space to do that if they want. So, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll have plenty of, of story fodder, I'm sure, moving forward. But, yeah, it was solid, but not but maybe not great. Uh, but I'm glad that you, you know, didn't regret your time with Wrecked. And I'm also glad, based on our previous conversations, that you did not regret your time with The Great British Breaking Show or, as our friends in the UK called, The Great British Break Off, which Damn had... Damn you, Pillsbury! <laughs> which had its first episode. Um, it's This is the first episode of season, or series, I should say, 
six of the Great British Bake Off, which is also episode one of season three of the Great British Baking Show. Um, That's not confusing at all. Thanks. Not for at all. Not even. Well, they started with ep- series five as yes. season one, and then series four as season two. Um, so of course, series six would be season three. <sighs> Anyways, um, this so is worse than when they localized Final Fantasy for the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And it was just like Final Fantasy six is actually Final Fantasy three. That doesn't make any sense. Thank God for the PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love this show. I've, I'm very vocal about that. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about it? Had you seen any of it previously? And what do you uh, what are you thinking of the, the structure, the judges, the hosts, the contestants? What, what comes to mind for you for cake? OK, so I watched whatever season PBS made available on Netflix. Series five. Okay, so I watched series five, um, and really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, there are a number of things I really love, and we can break them down. And you talked a little bit about this on Twitter uh, with a couple of folks, including uh, Miles McNutt, um, this week, last week. And it's just, it's so good, Kate. Like, I love the fact that the contestants get to go home to their families. They get to practice their recipes so that they kind of know what's coming, I mean, they get to think through things. They get to recharge. It's not a grind. Uh, I love the fact that they're cooking outside of this English manner that they're not allowed into or something. <laughs> that, but they get to cook in a tent. Um, I love the hosts. I want them to have a host off between... is It's Sue and May and... Mel. Mel. Sue and Mel. And I want a host off between Sue and Mel and Tina and Amy. Mm-hmm. And and, see- and Kat Dealey. And I feel like the five would just go be awesome ladies together. Yes. No, that would be amazing. Uh, but I think that the biggest thing that I like about this show uh, is that it's just so supportive and happy. And just no one's there to, like, win money. Like, they don't get any money for this, right? They just get, like, a trophy. and a, They like, get a cake plate. You get a plate. And, I mean, that's just, it's so wonderfully British. And I just, I, I think it's epitomized in cake when that poor woman's moose didn't set. Threat. And it just, like, she couldn't get it together. And it was just like, there's Sue comforting her, being like, it's okay, don't worry about it. This is just one cake. You may not get eliminated. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It may still taste okay. Like, just don't freak out. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, this is so nice. There's no, <laughs> there's no gloating from the contestants that her cake is ruined. There's just like, hey, hey, she's sure to be eliminated now. I'm not feeling so bad about my beet flavored chocolate cake. <laughs> Go away, fedora guy. And <laughs> there's none of that. And so it's just this really nice, optimistic show. And I just, I really, really like it, Kate. And the one thing in closing I will say about, like, big broad picture stuff uh, as we narrow down into, like, this season is, A, I know nothing about this season, so I don't know how this shakes out or anything, but I will go ahead and lay money on the table and say that a woman wins this season. Okay. Just based on the first episode. I feel like, I feel very confident in the women's field this season. Okay. I I will... Uh, remain neutral in this in that because I don't I I know I know the answer okay. so I will not uh, tip my hand either way but I look forward to your because for me this is you know I'm 
uh, it'll be fun to kind of experience it again and get, if, you know, I get to rewatch, you get to watch the first time and we can, I'm sure we'll have slightly different takes on things. But um, I think that's an excellent point that you make with Durrett. I mean, like when she says, it's just a cake. Like, yeah. why am I so, it's just a cake. I shouldn't be this upset about a cake. I, I love that moment so much because, okay, so my extended family, we bake. Yeah. And you know oh, this. Oh, I know. And we, I love it. Yeah, we bake <laughs> a lot. Um, we do insane amounts of Christmas cookies. Uh, every birthday has a homemade cake. Um, you know, like we just, baking is a way of express, expressing love and appreciation and respect and kindness uh, for other people. And, and that's something that you can express in baking that you can't necessarily in other in other types of food and preparations of food because of the quantity. When you bake, you can't, you're not making a cupcake. Like you just, you, you have too much better for that. You're making a batch of cupcakes or cookies or a full cake. Nobody makes a cake. Very few people make a cake just for themselves. You make, you bake Thanks, to share Kate. with other people. Jeez, make me feel like the sad, lonely person who makes well, a cake for themselves. We've definitely all made a, a tray of brownies for ourselves. I yeah, would that's, say that's very true. Yeah, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's something that you share with yes. other people, right? And so the the show. I have many thoughts on Bake Off, and we will talk about it this season. I'm very excited about about following the season. But but that I think anybody who's baked anything before or had other experiences in their life has been in that situation where it's just like it feels so crushing and huge and terrible in the moment. And you're, this is just a fill in the blank. This is just a cake. This is just a poster board. This is just a whatever. I shouldn't be this upset about this. But I am. I'm going to feel it. And then I'm going to let it go. Because it's just a cake at the end of the day. Um, and it's just so incredibly relatable. It's it's wonderful. And, and and the other thing I could point to with that specific instance is, you know, of course, you look at the judging. They don't give her a hard time about it. They say, obviously, they don't need to tell her it doesn't look good. That she screwed up. She knows she screwed up. They know she knows she screwed up. But they taste everything. And they also are fully aware that while her cake looks worse... It looks like that's the biggest mistake that anybody made that whole weekend. That doesn't mean that it actually is because she put, sets that in the freezer for, you know, or the refrigerator for 20 minutes longer and her cake's perfect. The much yeah. bigger mistake is Stu's stuff, which doesn't come across that way necessarily on camera. Right. But that doesn't mean that they give him a pass and, and, and condemn her because hers looks worse um yeah. they taste it they give her they give everybody constructive feedback they say positives they usually they say negatives they usually say positives um they are very supportive but they also don't they they don't lie when things aren't good um yeah. so the the judging on the show is really terrific the hosts of, as you've already said are very much in the cat dealy supportive mode um which is my favorite kind of host for reality competition and uh, the diversity of this cast in age in experience, in background, in ethnicity, in culture. It's just a beautiful thing to see. We, we've got people from 19 to 66. There's a firefighter. There's an anesthesi... Oh, a training anesthesiologist. Uh, anesthetist, There's sorry. a guy who's way too tall. Like, <laughs> There's a bodybuilder. There's yeah. an accountant. There's a stay-at-home parent. There's a travel photographer. Like, all these... This, this wide array of experience... Yeah, and short and tall, <laughs> and but they all—they have very little probably in common in their daily lives. But they all can share this passion of baking, and it's just beautiful to see that. And and a week as shitty as this week has been, 
I love that we have a show like this that we can watch to give you some faith in humanity again. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I uh, let's can we talk about the judges for just Go for a, it. Not, just a little bit cuz I read a um to refresh myself cuz I watched this on Saturday because my PBS affiliate actually isn't airing this until next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have but to watch you it can, PBS.com everyone, you can follow right. along online. Right. So which is one of the wonderful things about public broadcasting everyone. Um, so I'm having to watch it on the PBS website, but I had to pull up a recap to kind of remind myself what happened. And it was from uh, Food 52, which is a really nice site. I've been to it before for a number of other um, things. And they're recapping it week to week. And there's this long section about Paul, <laughs> Hollywood. And I want your take on this as someone who's more familiar with the show. Um, because there's this very much an ode to Paul within the recap that I kind of appreciated in the sense that I like the fact, like you mentioned that he's fair, but he's supportive, but there's also just this undercurrent within the article about how really good looking Paul Hollywood is. (laughs) And it's, I mean, it's, it's vaguely referenced within the show. I feel like every now and then, but I'm also just like, I don't think he's that attractive. And I'm, I'm, I'm very willing to admit when men are attractive and I'm very happy to admit when men are attractive. Uh, so it's not some sort of like weird gay panic thing. It's very much, I just don't see it exactly. <laughs> okay. And, but at the same time, like he does have these really piercing eyes that I just can't not help but stare at when he's like looking at people and going, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm just like, <gasps> Paul's second guessing me. And I feel like he's second guess- when he's second guessing them, he's second guessing me as a human being. And oh gosh, what what kind of choices have been made with my life? Mm-hmm. Um, so how 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 do, is is Paul sexy? I guess is my question. <laughs> um, not to me, but I think I think what it is is of course like you've already mentioned he's incredibly piercing blue eyes. God, they're so piercing. Yeah, and uh, he's got a symmetrical face. You know, yes, good hair. Everything and I, they're just they're you meet people in real life who are on TV or not, uh, who, who you see a picture of them, you're like, okay, they're I mean, they're in good shape, they're attractive, but you know, they're just normal, attractive, and then you see them in person and you're like, you are an alien person, you are <laughs> a creature of another species, holy crap! Um, which is an experience I've had a couple times. At Comic-Con, interviewing people. Um, sure. Uh, when you're, like, face-to-face with them. Like, even, like, you see them on a panel. You know, no big deal. That's what the, yeah. then, you, then you sit, like, five feet from them, and you just, like, can't think straight. <laughs> regardless of gender, regardless of sexuality, and stuff, just because they're just really pretty. Or they're really charming and really charismatic. Right. So that, I would guess that that's what's happening here. Okay. Um, I, Which is the, fair, because he is, he is pretty darn charismatic. Yeah, and, and for the these bloggers, they don't they haven't necessarily interact with them one on one, but you get that from the contestants too. Yes, you, you you very strongly get that vibe from the contestants. So that's what I would say. Probably it's the piercing eyes, and it's the fact that he's an expert in his field, especially like you, you mean you, the bread episodes. You definitely more yeah. than anything else, you can see that he knows his stuff. His name his name is Paul Hollywood. They very wisely just call him Paul. All the yeah, time. Calling him Paul Hollywood any time, any more than necessary is a terrible idea. Yeah. So she's always Mary Berry. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Anyways, um, but but I can see that how that would be one of those things where just very charismatic, clearly uh, very knowledgeable, and has an aura that c- complements um, symmetrical features and de- being in decent shape and very piercing eyes. So we've spent way too long talking about Paul Hollywood's appearance. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't think we have. Like, I mean, we can talk about it some more, but. <laughs> Uh, I think the only other thing that I'd like to say is that I really like the structure of the challenges, mm-hmm. even if I do think that the technical challenge can be kind of mean sometimes. Um, but I, as my friend Nick pointed out, like it's very much the technical challenge tends to give them a very level playing field, since especially like in most cases where they don't know what it is, everyone's lost. And there's some value to that, watching them all kind of figure it out. And I think that that's really my favorite part of the show, apart from the hope and optimism, is also just the sheer existential angst that is involved in watching people watch something bake in an oven. Mm -hmm. And the sheer anxiety that's built into that, because by God, as someone who just cooks very little, and when they do, it's very simple type stuff, but... I'm very much of that, oh gosh, I hope I need to flip this now so that it's done. And I just stare at it, waiting to make sure and timing myself and everything (laughs) like that. And so I really enjoy just the sheer existentialism of people having to watch stuff bake in an oven. And I like that that aspect of the show is very played to the forefront within the show. The, as far as I'm concerned, the technical bake is crucial in the structure and success of the series and it's something that I've never seen another cooking show do. Yeah. And and it's something that you can much more easily do with amateur cooks and chefs and bakers than professionals. Yeah. Because with professionals, there's an assumption that they know how to make all of these. Right. And they go very obscure with this show, with the, what yes. the technical bakes are. So obscure. Because like, they're trying to make sure that these are not things that necessarily the bakers have done. What it does is it, sell, it, it separates out the field. And yeah. I love that it's blind judging. I love, I mean, as somebody, for violin, almost every audition I've had has been blind. That's like standard for orchestral auditions for, for you know, instruments so that, you know, to fight against charge of the sexism um, or, or, um, or racism or, or um, ageism or different isms um, or just bias because it's a small community. So yeah. I, the fact that no other show I can think of does consistent blind taste testing you know you look at you watch top chef you watch these other shows they always like every now and again will be like oh who did this one after you know they don't necessarily know but usually the chefs are walking around in the kitchen they see these things in progress so even if they're trying to be their best to be impartial you never really know with this one it's a hundred percent like there's a zero percent chance that there can be any bias and it's wonderful to see the show embrace that also it just Let's there be that element of suspense. And so you don't have, okay, well, maybe one of them had a really stressful week. You don't know what's going on in their personal lives. You know, maybe that one of them has a really stressful, horrible week. They don't get the time to prepare, like, to, to really hone their signature and showstoppers, like, recipes the way that they normally would. But there's always the chance for them to destroy in the technical when because everybody's not even playing field with the technical and so having that i just i really think it's a brilliant move uh structurally and just for the 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 way that the the show incorporates different elements of baking different elements of competition and really of 
the challenge of baking as a, compared to the personal conflicts of who's going to beat the other person. It's more who's going to win against this recipe. Um, and, yeah. and I love that. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea of versus the recipe, I think is a really good way of looking at this show is that it's very much against the recipe as opposed to against themselves or mm -hmm. one another rather because i mean they're all they're all competing against each other but in the end they're really competing against the recipes and the challenge yeah. and that's really really interesting and so different from american cooking competition shows where it's very personality driven where it's why did you decide to put cheese on this dish and it's just like, well my mom and my dad and my sister and we all just had a really hard time growing up so cheese on the dish just reminded me of that and you just go well that doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. but or thanks like okay thanks good. for that personal story <laughs> that doesn't make it taste different to the yeah. person who's who's eating it yeah, yeah. exactly um yeah and so I have, I have many more thoughts i'm just gonna stop there because i have i have many more thoughts on bake off and i look forward to sharing them over the next uh, several weeks so now are you gonna watch week to week do you want to check in on this every week or just kind of wait and Check in every now and again. What do you think? Mark? Oh, no, we should check in every week because also what else are we going to talk about? Every week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am absolutely game for that. I, I love me some Bake Off. Um, and on that note, what wins your week in, in TV here? Because for me, it's like a one. It's, there's, like, there's only a few that are in contention and Bake Off is definitely one of them. Right. No, I feel the same way. I'll split the difference um, with um, even though it's not until Sunday, the night of is really fantastic. And if you're listening to this on Saturday, you should make time to watch it on Sunday or, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, but uh, Winning the Week is definitely the right British baking show for me uh, for all the reasons. I knew this was going to be the long section of the podcast for us this week mm -hmm. was this was this episode. And I was right. And for all the right reasons. Uh, what about you? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll second what you said and also throw a little love to Adventure Time, honorable mention to Adventure Time. But uh, yeah, watch the night of. Uh, looking forward to every, everybody else's thoughts on that and, um, and seeing how that develops. But I just love me, I love me the Great British Bake Off. So that's what wins my week in TV. Um, a few show notes. You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the, for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you thought of the week's TV and, and these, different, these different shows. Um, you can also reach out on Facebook, where you have a page. You can like the page, start a conversation there. You can email theteleverse at gmail.com. We're up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed that lets you skip between the shows. Um, if, if you're avoiding spoilers or, or an mp3 feed which doesn't have the chapters um, and we're up in Stitcher so you can rate and review us there we'd appreciate that very much it does help other people find the show and lets us know how you feel like we're doing um, you can also of course find us both on Twitter I am at the Televerse and Noel you are at Noel RK and now we are going to take a break uh, listen to a little theme music and some uh, short scene and come back with Karinza Kadinas of Complex Pop Culture uh, to talk about Wonder Woman so we'll be right back after this Fraulein Grables you are a woman of great intelligence and should not be taking orders from that man silence now I have had enough from both of you Wonder Women and you with your supposed magic tricks <laughs> the golden lasso, the magic belt. We'll handle this ourselves. Stop the fire! You were right all the time, Fraulein. 
listen to him now. This time, I must agree with the colonel. You are an enemy of the fatherland. Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, this week on the DVD shelf, we are wa- we are talking about a show that I had not seen any of, and it, which feels just perfect for when I was watching it, which was Fourth of July weekend, of course. And that is Wonder Woman. And here to help us talk about Wonder Woman, the deputy editor at Pop uh, at Complex Pop Culture, Karinza Kadinas. Karinza, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So what made you want to talk about Wonder Woman? Because when we were planning this, it wasn't like, we'll do 4th of July, we'll do Americana, we'll do Wonder Woman. It was Wonder Woman is what you wanted to talk about. So what what makes you uh, enjoy this show? What made this one come to mind? Well, because mostly because Noel and I used to <laughs> write about all of it. Um, so when we were both uh, young babies in our respective writing careers, um, All of three it, years ago. It seems like so long ago, though. It really did. We did like a, like a double, like kind of like review, and we ended up watching like well, all of season one, all of season two. Um, yeah, so we. That was kind of why it's like you know I know it. I haven't like seen it or like really had revisited it in a while, and I think like also it seems super timely with like all the talk of like maybe actually getting like finally getting like you know female superhero movies and stuff. Well, Supergirl and all that. Well, and of course, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman herself, will be on the upcoming season of Supergirl, which we will definitely talk about. I'm very excited. Oh, yeah, which I feel like I'm now going to, like, I have, haven't seen any of Supergirl yet, but I'm like, shit, now I'm going to have to catch up on that just for <laughs> Linda Carter. Well, it's really, it's such an interesting show, Wonder Woman is, for me. And what I thought was also very interesting is that I could not find... And maybe I was looking in the wrong places, but I couldn't find any critical or analytical discussion of Wonder Woman that you guys didn't write <laughs> online. <laughs> yeah. That's depressing. That seems so weird. <laughs> like I, I wasn't, like, I just like was searching Wonder Woman review, like TV mm-hmm. show analysis. Nothing was coming up. And again, maybe it's just, I was searching poorly, but I think that's really interesting, especially in light of like you're saying, Karitza, this this push to have more female superhero films at least and and you yeah. know obviously supergirl coming on like how did no one write a compare contrast of supergirl and wonder woman at some point during season 1 of supergirl i i'm it blows my mind but it it's kind of crazy i haven't seen any supergirl but it does seem like they probably have like a kind of similar tone mm-hmm. yeah I, I was just thinking that i was just like 
And Supergirl works for an intergovernment secret agency, just like Diana Prince ends up doing. Yeah, someone needs to write that. And she puts on <laughs> glasses to hide her identity, which I know is a comic book thing, but still, you know, she has her hair up in a ponytail and glasses. And then when she's Supergirl, the glasses come off, the hair comes out of the ponytail. It's totally Wonder Woman. She just needs to spin around and a starburst happen and she transforms. <laughs> I'm glad that Lainey Boggs syndrome still exists in media today, personally. <laughs> One of my favorite tropes. Yeah. Well, I, I will always appreciate it just for Superman and for the, the for Clark Kent. I, I, and even just for giving us that one fantastic SNL sketch with The Rock as Superman where everyone knows he's Superman, but he just keeps <laughs> telling himself that the glasses are what does it. Um, but I'm getting distracted here by talk of other superheroes. We're here to talk about Wonder Woman. And for me, I'm so glad that you wanted to talk about this show, Karinsa, because I would never have set aside set aside time to talk about it if we weren't doing it for the dvd shelf that just would not have happened and i ended up <laughs> having a lot of fun with certain parts of of wonder yeah. woman and certain parts of its run um and i was also very surprised at what a stark contrast i was seeing from the beginning of the show which of course was on a different network it changed networks and changed time periods but not even just that the beginning of season two and the end of season three, I, I really, for me, went on quite a journey in a not-for-Kate direction. But the the colonel that's there and Linda Carter in that title role, I actually ended up having a lot of fun with the show. Now, obviously, Noel, you had seen Wonder Woman before because you had written about it. But uh, what was your what's your relationship with the show? Uh, be, I think it was... I can't remember if it was my idea to write about it or yours. Um, I don't remember either. Yeah, I don't remember either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so we decided to write about it for This Was Television. Neither of us had really watched it. I think I'd seen a couple of episodes, like, randomly in syndication, but I barely remembered it. But I was just, I wanted to talk about it because um, I've always liked Wonder Woman as a character and as, like, a concept concept so i was eager to dive into it and so yeah we did the first season and then like half of season two all told and then another like half of season three because we were worried about getting kind of repetitive and which was a fair thing i went back and watched some of the episodes we didn't discuss and i was just like yikes <laughs> we made good choices i'm and glad that we made good choices i was rereading some of our stuff from like the end there yeah and there's a lot of jokes where it's like, well, I think we've seen this storyline already in just this batch of episodes. Right. Um, so, and yeah, I was I was really eager to discuss it on here after watching it again, revisiting, like doing two episodes from season one, two episodes from season two, and two episodes from season three, just to re-familiarize myself with the show. And I ended up watching my favorite episodes from season one and then new episodes from seasons uh, two and three, because how can you not watch Fausta? The Nazi Wonder Woman, because she's the best. She is the best. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched that one, too. Yeah. Certain titles, just looking at the episode titles, when I was deciding which ones to watch, because I wanted to get a, a strong sampling uh, from each season, um, you could tell when certain characters, like, I don't know who Gargantua is, but I'm sure that's a comic book character. I don't she think the is, writers... She is, but she's not a giant gorilla. She's just a giant woman, actually. Is she a gorilla in the comics? 
No, no, no. She's not a gorilla in the comics. Um, she, it's kind of implied that she's a gorilla, gorilla that turned into a human in some cases. Okay. But no, she's just a woman who can grow to like the tack of the fifty foot woman sizes in the comics. Okay, well that's fun. Well, yeah. but it was just fun to see that that clear affinity for the comic in the show. Though I don't have, I've not, I've never read any Wonder Woman comics. I don't have that connection to it. But I, I found that for me, the show was m- by far its most successful when it was threading the needle of its tone very carefully. When it was embracing elements of the comics um, and some elements of obviously the you know this is was made in the 70s in the mid 70s or in late 70s um when it was addressing you know issues of of the women's lib movement and feminism uh when it was combining all of these different elements together that's when i was having the most fun with it when it got further from uh, some of the pulpier roots and it it had that those these ridiculous elements but not with like the sheen of the comics as much on it, then I had a harder time with it. So when we're in the 50s and we have ridiculous over-the-top Nazis as bad guys, for whatever reason, that worked for me more than when we're in the 70s and we have, oh no, it's uh, it's really, like there's the skateboard episode and like she twirls (laughs) into like a motorcycle riding outfit one. like Oh, I love that outfit though. That's a good outfit. Yeah, I I had a harder time with that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the things that, like, Noel and I, like, came to, like, to, like, is that I think we both appreciated the show a lot more when it was, like, you know, like, had that, like, comic element. Because as it goes along, it seems like it gets more into, like, spy territory. And then, like, Wonder Woman just sort of, like, shows up because she has, like, more strength than Diana. But it's, like, ends up being, like, mostly, like just Diana like you don't end up there's not like a lot of the fantastical elements I think in later episodes that there is in the beginning and I think that kind of I don't know that I think was the thing that kind of it didn't kill it for me because there's still so much I liked about it but it made it certainly like a different like viewing experience the Charlie's Angels is strong in Wonder Woman season two and yeah no totally so 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 much yeah, it's this really kind of weird show uh, sometimes where, especially like the 1940 season, which is by far and away my favorite season um, of the show, because it's just, it balances like what you were talking about, uh, Kate, that the comic sensibilities with some good pulpiness and then just that really strong thread of feminism and compassion, which has always been really central to this character for me, is comes through really, really clearly in season one, especially. And then all of that really good stuff kind of just fades away as the show progresses. Um, And it is part of that jiggled TV era, which is what Charlie's Charlie's Angels epitomizes. And by seasons two and three, like when they changed over to uh, CBS from ABC, uh, they cut the costume a little bit lower. The thigh line for the um, bottoms like came up significantly. Mm -hmm. And so she just became more sexualized, which was weird to watch. But it was also in keeping with the t- the TV trends that they were trying to catch up with with the character as well. And it just became less interesting. Um, and s- it's sillier, but not in an interesting sort of silly. Like, robots and just so many robots. Fencing <laughs> robots and little <laughs> cart robots and... 
lots of things about mind control and telekinesis, and it's just, it's all very 70s extra governmental concern type stuff that was super popular in the 1970s, but just like Carenza said, just doesn't go anywhere really interesting or has anything really interesting to say through the characters. So that's why it's just Diana Prince going undercover as a jewel thief and Wonder Woman showing up because she can telepathically talk to dogs. (laughs) How did no one... I was not prepared for how much this show becomes there is one character and it is Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman. Uh, Like, Steve Trevor disappears after the first oh, yeah. season, basically, he's yeah. Steve Trevor yeah. Jr., played by the same actor, his son, shows up from time to time. But mostly it's just her. Um, how did no one realize that, oh, Wonder Woman only shows up when Diana Prince has been assigned something? Because, like, there's no, originally in season one, it's like, oh, she has a connection to Steve Trevor because she saved him. And, and so at least there was that excuse. But, like... They really aren't trying in season two and three. No, there's like no one else. Like, and I mean, even in the first, like, and even in the first season, like, when I watched one, I watched the, I watched the Wonder Woman like takes Hollywood episode today. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a fun one. And, okay, right. and her sister, like, her sister shows up for a little bit, and like, you know, you get like there. I think in the first season, there's like more elements of like there's like actual like I don't want to say community around her, but like there's like people for her to like bounce off of and I feel like that go really goes by the wayside and I when I was looking at some of the stuff Noel and I had written earlier we were uh, the last episode we had watched there was like a really nice moment between like Steve and um Diana that uh you know it's like basically it was just like like one thing though like it was it's kind of weird how like isolated the character sort of is um, and then also, and I think it's more because maybe it's on, maybe honestly is because she's like standing for like all of these issues as opposed to like needs to have some sort of heavy characterization for us to like feel about, feel or care about Diana Prince because we know she's Wonder Woman. So maybe they're like, well, I guess we don't really need to like write like a lot of like heavy connective moments for her or something. Right. There's this weird impulse to like make it fit into some of the other big trends that were happening in television at the time. So this idea of like Diana being kind of isolated from the supporting cast, even though they kept introducing characters who were obviously intended to either be a new supporting cast or be a spinoff series, like the girl from Alandia or the man who will not die, the indestructible dude. And then the random kid from the roller coaster and just all this stuff that's like intended, I think, to be like spinoffy type stuff. But it still feels like she's operating very much in like an Incredible Hulk or Rockford Files type of thing where it's just her interacting with the guest cast every now and then. And that's kind of the mode they wanted, but they never fully committed to it because they kept having Steve show up real briefly for like a scene to like set things up and then he just disappeared and stayed on a lunch break for a while. <laughs> well, and this is really for me highlighted um, when we do have Drusilla show up as Wonder Girl and that, that Hollywood episode, uh, it's one of like, I want to say three where she yeah. shows up um, that I really enjoyed seeing that dynamic. And of course a baby Deborah Winger as, as yep. uh, you know, Drusilla, but, but watching the two of them interact, I mean, I, I think the heart of this show is, 
you know, there's certain ele- elements that I think really work and are a lot of fun to watch. But it, for me, it really is Linda Carter. And I can could see, like, almost instantly watching the show why she is still in people's memory, despite the often, you know, cheesy, not particularly great elements of the show, or, or certainly, you know, what it became by the end of its run. I think it's easy to dismiss, but she's so charming in that central role. And, and it really was making me think of Supergirl and, and that performance from uh, Melissa Benoist, uh, which is so earnest and kind. Diana Prince yeah. is kind. And I love seeing that in superheroes without being laughable, without being uh, a fool. She's kind. And it's, it's fantastic to see. Well, it's something I feel like that doesn't really like, I I mean, I guess, like, with Supergirl, but I do think, like, in terms of the tropes that I think we've been so inundated with in terms of, like, Mar- like Mar- the Marvel Universe and, like, and like DC's new, like, everything's gritty and, like, everything has to be gritty and, like, dark and blah, 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 that it is, like, kind of, like, you know, coming back and, like, watching Wonder Woman um, is like kind of refreshing in that sense is like, you can still have all of these superhero sensibilities, but like you said, like her, like Wonder Woman is just like inherently kind, but not in a really corny way, which is like very, I think like obviously a testament to how great I think like an actress like Linda Carter is certainly. And that's, I think like obviously her innate kind of, um, chemistry is like the wrong word that I'm thinking of, but um, just her, like maybe her innate aura, I guess is uh, that. And I think that really bleeds into how she portrays Wonder Woman too. And the idea that you can be powerful and you can be smart and clever and also kind at the same time. It's not being, she's not a pushover. And, and, you know, I connect this to, you know, somebody like Jane, the Virgin too, who is, you know, Jane is defined uh, in many ways by the fact that she is a good and kind person that, that is important to her to do that. And so seeing that here was it was nice to see that that's not something that, you know, it was there before our wave of gritty antiheroes. And apparently it's here. It's back to stay after that wave of gritty antiheroes. No, that's really great. Because, again, one of the things I really like about season one, which, again, steadily fades away in seasons two and three, is that she's wonder woman's very much about well you don't have to be this way to most of the villains she she encounters she's just like you can make a choice to not be this way you can make a choice not to be a nazi okay and there's there's this again there's this kindness and compassion that isn't involved in like throwing guys around or occasionally very rarely getting to punch people because steve gets to punch everyone and wonder woman just kind of gets to throw them around which is just a weird standards and practice thing that i think that no one was comfortable with the idea of wonder woman punching people so she just gets to throw them (laughs) um but it's just she gets to like talk to fausta and be like fausta you don't need to be a nazi in fact you're a lot better than the nazis and also why are you listening to this jerkwad nazi guy who's just being really mean to you all the time and trying to take all the credit you're way better than that for sure Mm -hmm. and it's just this element of sisterhood and compassion that i think is really key to the first season that then because we as you've both mentioned the character gets isolated that she doesn't get to do as much and the villains become very stock and a little less complicated for the most part They become terrorists or evil masterminds bent on world dominations and convincing a 
mastermind that they're not that they don't have to take over the world is kind of difficult because they're raving egomaniacs i mean i feel like the only character that came to mind that she kind of like changed the mind of was the pied piper did you watch that episode kate did you watch the martin mole episode i was unable to get to that one though i did have it bookmarked i ran out of time (laughs) uh so she's able to kind of talk him down by the end of the episode but, I mean, all he's doing is stealing from his own shows to prevent the record label from taking more money from him. That's all he's doing. <laughs> so it's a very, like, low-key type of thing. So, yeah, I just, that idea of compassion and this idea of kindness really just goes away. And she's like, I mean, she gets upset when a MP shoots the gorilla. And that's great. And then it's just like, eh, who cares about it in seasons two and three? We don't care. Well, because we definitely get um, the sense of her as an outsider, but also finding this new home. And that's we that's shown in who she connects with and in who she is drawn to, even just the villains, like the villains that she tries to talk down, the ones that she, you know, aren't worth her time, according to the writers, I would say more than the character. Um, she's, you know, she's and you, this is something you mentioned to me, Noel, as well. Uh, she's often fighting very capable, very smart women at least yeah. in the first season. Um, but then she's also listening to children, listening to people that are not taken seriously by the air quotes proper authorities. Uh, she will give respect and attention to anyone, um, not just where power traditionally lies. Right. And I think there are good examples of that even within the beginning of season two, like uh, the man who could move the earth is a really interesting little episode about a Japanese kid who grew up in a U.S. internment camp and then develops like this weird telekinetic ability to cause earthquakes. But it's a really interesting little meditation on what the Japanese internment camp was and what it the kind of impact it could that it had without being like overtly political but the fact that it was addressed at all in this kind of pulpy superhero show i thought was really really significant but it was also kind of the last episode that dealt with anything really really serious as well in a in a thoughtful way anyway the other thing that i i would be remiss if we didn't mention um there's a couple and a big one for me is of course for me music um, there are very few shows we've done on the DVD shelf that I felt the need to sing their name more than Wonder Woman every time. Like all week I've been talking to my family, be like, oh, uh, yeah, we can hang out. But, you know, I got to watch some Wonder Woman because like, I just I love it so much. Fighting and, for our rights. Yeah, I don't even need like the whole like the whole I don't sing the whole thing. I just sing that when I reference the show or the character. It should be your new your new phone ringing tone. I think you found it. Oh, like that would be awesome. It should just like trade off between the TARDIS sound and Wanda Wanda and like three other things. It sounds awesome. Yeah, exactly. And and I think for me it's not just that, it's the 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 credits and the like the the star wipe in and out from commercial breaks like I love all of that it's it's so cheesy and it's so over the top but I think it really matches the tone especially that they're going for in the first season of being like yeah we're heightened we know that but you're buying in like you saw the opening credits right this is what we're doing um and and for me it really works the little sparkle that Steve's teeth get (laughs) 
Well, I love that you made the comparison. I think that, like, the comparison that you're just about Jane the Virgin, like, I think, like, it seems like that's sort of, like, very much how, you know, like, Jane the Virgin is, like, the show that's, like, super heightened in terms of, like, um, you know, all the t- telenovela aspects and everything, like, it, and it's such an absurd, like, just general, like, you know, storyline, but it, it's a show that has so much heart and humanity at its core, and I think, like, all of the like elements that kind of heighten Wonder Woman and especially in that first season are, are kind of it may I think it makes it more human, which kind of doesn't make sense considering it's just also so over the top. I'd agree with that. I think that this idea of height I think that there's a real value in grounding something in grounding something in heightenedness can be really, really effective, so long as it's done really, really well. And like we've been saying, and the comparison to Jane's a really good one, is that, and I'd even toss like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on there as well, because that's a really heightened show within a musical aspect that still manages to find a lot of emotional truth. And I think that that's still very true with Wonder Woman as well, is that it borrows from the comic books, both um, figuratively inspired by, but also like it uses comic book panels to illustrate its opening credits. Uh, And... So this idea of the fantastic, grounding itself in a fantastical to find some sort of human truth is, I think, kind of at the core of a lot of comic book stories. So it's always outsider immigrant stories that resonate with us in a lot of comic books. So Superman, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, that sort of stuff has always been really important within the comic book narratives and why people have latched onto them. So when Wonder Woman is able to do those kind of heightened moments and draw on those traditions, we find those kernels of truth and we find those kernels of humanity that we really, really value. And that's why I think it's still really resonating with all three of us, especially right now. And as uh, we alluded to, like it stands in stark opposition to the current trend of comic books, even the current incarnation of Wonder Woman herself is very much not what Linda Carter's Wonder Woman is. And I think, um, you know, and it is interesting, as, like, we've said, like, somehow, like, the show gets worse when it becomes more, I mean, as realistic as, you know, Wonder Woman's going to get, but it when it does get more realistic or, like, I mean, as Noel said, like, played maybe more into the, like, kind of current tropes of television at the time, it gets way worse, which is kind of funny because, you know, you, I guess you would kind of just automatically assume the opposite would be the case. Yeah, yeah. It, it's because it, it they like they pop the bubble and they start trying to, and then that that just makes you see all the ways in which it doesn't fit and doesn't feel right. And um, instead of maintaining their their little off to the side, it's its own parallel universe. Um, <laughs> and in the first season, I think that works. I do want to say we've been very. Uh, positive on Wonder Woman. Um, this is not great television, as far as I'm concerned. It's very <laughs> like it's like it, I don't think this is a life changing, all time great show or anything like that. It's very silly. It's very um, often it's very straightforward and it's 50 minutes long. I was very willing to go on that ride for you know the the earlier season episodes. By the time you get to season season two and certainly by season three. That was challenging. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was, <laughs> it was challenging. Um, so I don't think this is like 
like a must see show for people. But I, I was very pleasantly surprised because when you when you think of Wonder Woman, you don't you just feels like a relic, uh, the show. Um, and it's certainly not something that I can think of anybody telling me I should hunt out, you know, to, <laughs> to feel like I had a good handle on TV or anything like that. Or the development of the form or even feminism in television. Um, but I ended up having a lot of fun with it. And I think for people who uh, are are just overdosed on gritty superheroes and on dark equals good equals quality um, or people who are looking for a fix of just popcorn TV while they wait for Supergirl to come back on. I think if you like Supergirl, you will probably really enjoy, especially season one of Wonder Woman. There are certain elements uh, through lines to those two characters that I think will uh, people will, will certainly will like kind of feed that need for earnest, sweet, but also kick butt action lady TV um, until Supergirl comes back in the fall. But um, but no, I so so I don't I'm not saying this is like all time great TV, but I but I did end up having a lot of fun with it. And I am certainly glad to have watched some. Do we have any particular episodes or other elements that we want to talk like we haven't talked about Steve at all? <laughs> Maybe we should. <laughs> Um, what do you guys think? Steve's kind of, I feel like Steve's kind of worthless. Like, he's there. He's just like, you know, he's like around. I mean, you Did know. you guys like that they actively made uh, the decision, you know, we're not going to have her also fall in love with his son because that would be creepy? Yes. Yeah. That was really smart of them to do. And I like the fact that it's just like, oh, when when the fake Steve starts hitting on her, he she's just like, wait a second. This doesn't make any sense. This isn't going to happen. Also, you're obviously a f- duplicate. <laughs> yeah. You're clearly an evil robot. So, yeah. I enjoyed how quickly that worked. Yeah. Although I like Steve. Like, I like Steve Jr. way better than, like, original Steve. What say you, know? It was funny because I tweeted to you both that I, while I was watching season one, I actually really liked Steve Sr. much more this time around. And I'm not entirely sure why still. Um, but I, I do feel like I was just kind of keying more into the fact that he's the show's damsel in distress. <laughs> I mean, he keeps getting kidnapped or he keeps getting put into boxes and, but then they're just like, but look at him. He's like a crazy good driver that then gets the car stuck in like a swamp somehow. <laughs> I mean, it's just the show, I feel like, can't totally decide how seriously we're supposed to take Steve as, like, this paragon of masculinity. Because they talk about how he was, like, an all-pro football player in college or all this sort of yada yada, really gung-ho masculinity stuff. But then he keeps getting kidnapped. And he, while, sure, he's able to break through em- enemy lines that even the British couldn't do, he still gets captured. And <laughs> so... I don't have as much strong an opinion about Steve Jr. just because he doesn't show up enough for me to really care about Steve Jr. After the season two premiere, he just kind of steadily like fades away a little bit. And I probably like him as you just get him in small doses. Like you have to deal with like men on regular. Like I was like, that's (laughs) the perfect amount. Like he just comes in and out. Like you're like, Oh, makes a funny joke. And then you don't have to deal with him anymore. Perfect. It's it's a shame they didn't go like uh, the Avengers, you know, the TV show Avengers or, um, uh, you know, Agent Carter and Jarvis kind of way with that, because I think that would have benefited the show to have a more established relationship and buddy chemistry. I don't know if they would have 
been as as game for keeping Steve around when he was not going to be a love interest um, in the second and third season. Um, but, you know, I also appreciate that they make an active effort. It's like, OK, it's like it's it, like you're saying, it's the Giles syndrome. It's like, let's have him get knocked out. Okay, how can, <laughs> how can he screw up this time? And how can he screw up that time? But what I appreciate is that that happens. But then, <laughs> granted, maybe it's because of gender, uh, you know, ge- gender associations in our country. But nobody ever gives him a hard time for constantly getting knocked out and needing saving. That's which true. I appreciate as well. Mm-hmm. Which you'd be more concerned about that happening, you know. Like, nobody's like, oh, Steve's so useless. The way that a lot of people would be where the genders reversed and this was on TV now. Um, so I appreciate the, the affinity that all the characters have for each other. And talking about like Steve again, and I think especially this is like with Steve, uh, uh, senior. Um, I couldn't, I actually was like, I wanted to watch a couple episodes from, um, season two and I can't find my DVDs of them, but, um, is I, so I watched a bunch from season one and, um, I, forgot how pissed off I always got um when he's always like Diana's not beautiful and I'm like you are clearly a stupid man like you are deeply deeply dumb because I watched the one where she um joins like the beauty pageant and they're like wow you really clean up well and I was like that's just what she looks like she's just wearing a wig now (laughs) like not (laughs) like change or anything um but so, like that was the thing is I feel like for whatever reason to me and granted I ha- I didn't get a chance to like like revisit like Steve Jr. or whatever but I feel like the relationship between Diana and Steve Jr. seems more equal yeah I guess maybe in a way that I don't think that she has that with like Steve Sr. and that's probably also because like there's like feelings there and time period the military yeah, he seems. He always seems more condescending to her. I feel like in a way that I was always really annoyed by, and, and still currently annoyed by. <laughs> <laughs> On the upside, Steve Senior did at least make sure to give Wonder Woman credit in his reports. Oh, that is true. That's a good call. So uh, at least he didn't try to talk himself up in those reports very often. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he would get caught eventually, right? Man, probably not. Yeah. What am I saying? <laughs> He's a white man. He's a white man in power. Worth take all the credit. Well, I was gonna say she had a much better time of it than than Agent Carter did in the same time period with her male coworkers yeah. and credit um, in very different time periods of shows. But um, anyways, we've we've actually gone long, so we should wrap things up here. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on Wonder Woman? <laughs> Linda Carter is a goddess and. We should all you respect her and her iteration of Wonder Woman. Uh, I'll co-sign that and just add that if you're a relapsed comic book reader of Wonder Woman, it's worth revisiting this uh, series just to remind yourself that Wonder Woman can be someone who cares about other people and isn't tormented about the fact that she cares about other people. And isn't constantly being like put in positions where she's being made to make horrible decisions because she cares about people, which is kind of what happens in the comics right now. And it's kind of terrible. Is that what we think is going to happen for the movie? Oh, I don't I, I, I'm super interested to see what the movie looks like. I really am. Since like a significant chunk of it takes place in like World War World War One, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Ugh. 
We'll see. We'll see. I certainly didn't check out Wonder Woman in the Batman versus Superman film. Uh, I'm, I don't feel like I missed out on no, on that experience. No, so. not, nope, don't do yep. it. <laughs> yep, not not gonna do it. But I will uh, co-sign for those. Like I, I watched a bunch of this on the Fourth of July, so I was like watching Wonder Woman beat up Nazis while fireworks are going off. It was very well suited viewing for me. It was a lot of fun. So thank you, Karinza, for coming on and and yeah, giving me this for having me. Sit down with Wonder Woman. Uh, where can I listeners find you and your work online? Um, they, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Karinsa Kadinas. Uh, so, uh, that's, I, that's just so much name to have to spell. Uh, uh, and, uh, you can, uh, find the stuff I occasionally write and edit, um, at complex, uh, dot com under the pop culture tab. And that is my child. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you again one more time, Chris, for coming on. And thank you everyone for listening. Nolan, I'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm